Hello everyone and welcome to Roundhouse Crosstalk, a podcast hosted by the California State Railroad Museum. In this episode, we will sit down with friend of the podcast, Will Hodge, to discuss the music career of Tom Waits. Tom Waits is a legendary musical artist with a career stretching from the early 70s all the way to today. Will Hodge will walk us through how Tom Waits uses trains and train imagery in his music. We hope you enjoy. Um, so, so thanks for joining us again. Um, last time we talked a little bit about um, Johnny Cash and his connections to the railroad. Um, and it looks like today we're going to be talking a little bit about Tom Waits. Um, so, so how did you get interested in Tom Waits? Yeah, you know, um, first of all, thanks uh, again for having me back. Uh, I really love what you guys are doing with the podcast. Um, So yeah, it's exciting to be back and talking about Tom Waits. He's one of my absolute, uh, just not just favorite artists, but one of the most um, original artists, you know, out there. And it's interesting trying to think back to when uh, I kind of first became aware of him because uh, I was a kid in the 1980s, so my usual methods of finding out about musical artists, uh, things like MTV, uh, the radio, Saturday Night Live, you know, stuff like that. Tom Waits kind of stayed on the outskirts of all those traditional mainstream uh, means of musical discovery. Um, well, I, I do take that back. I think he appeared on Saturday Night Live at one point, but it was like in the late 70s uh, before I was born. But nevertheless, he was one of those like mysterious, mythical type of artists who would pop up in these unexpected places and then uh, kind of disappear again before you knew exactly um, what hit you. But his music, his voice, his poetry, that like effortless cool you know all of that you just couldn't shake the experience um after you saw him or heard him or at least at least i couldn't but my i think my first real memory of him probably would have been um just being like irrevocably awestruck was when i caught him there was a random rerun of an episode of austin city limits i think he recorded it in like 78 and I was catching it in like the late 80s so I was like you know eight or nine um and as a as a kid I had a tv in my bedroom but you know didn't have cable it was just bunny ears basic channel thing uh but luckily Austin City Limits was on PBS so um you know it was, it was easy to catch and uh I just remember like seeing this episode with him and even though it was like a decade old at the time I was just entranced by his like utter otherworldly coolness um most austin city limits episodes were just standard live band stage setups but uh this episode opened up with weights like he's kind of standing lounging between these two vintage gas pumps which no one on austin city limits ever had props or anything like that but he's between these pumps smoking a cigarette this slinky jazz trumpets playing and then he sits down on this spare tire and launches into like a uh sort of a raspy, rambly spoken word song intro. And I was just immediately and deeply hooked. By the end of the episode, I was um, like an eight or nine year old Tom Waits fan with absolutely no idea how to get my hands um, on any of his music. But uh, luckily a couple of years later, like 91 or 92, I was 11 or 12 at this point, um, an album of his called Bone Machine found its way into the uh, alternative music scene. So at that point, it was a lot easier for a uh, 
you know, a wildly uncool preteen like myself to be able to keep up with him. Cause now he had a couple videos on MTV. He was showing up on Arsenio hall. Um, and I was finally able to know which album of his to ask for, uh, you know, when my mom dropped me off at the mall. And so from that point, I just kind of started working my way backwards through his catalog, all of his various eighties and seventies albums. Um, and just fell deep, deep down into the, uh, weird, wild, uh, wonderful world of, of Tom Waits. It's, it's endless down there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so before we talked about, um, doing this, this podcast, I, I had never really heard of Tom Waits. I feel like I, at some point someone had said his name. So the name sounded vaguely familiar. Um, mm. but it, for this podcast, I was doing some research on him and, some of his music and, and you, you're right it's like a very distinctive sound it's not something i could really categorize um <laughs> with past things that i've i've listened yeah to. absolutely he's uh you know so so many musicians try to you know say that they're going for an original sound or that they try to just you know they follow their own muse and they don't listen to other music and all this sort of stuff and i think that tom waits is the guy that uh you know for literal decades i think in uh not next year but the year after will be like the 50th anniversary of his first album for all five of those decades um he's one of those singular artists where you can literally be like oh yeah there's no there's no way to be like this is the box that he fits in or this is the person he's trying to be like he is just absolutely in his own world and uh, I love him for being able to <laughs> to do that and just keep following his own path wherever it goes yeah, and speaking of that path, you know, that unique Tom Waits path, I think, you know, when I think of, of him and, and sort of his work, um, I think of, you know, Los Angeles, musical experimentation, um, and of course that legendary croaky voice of his that's just so unique to, to who he is as an artist. Um, but it sounds like from what we've been talking about um, a little bit off the air, um, that we should be adding Railroader to that list of, of recognizable Tom Waits traits. Um, so, so why do you think that is? Why is Tom Waits a railroad guy in your estimation? Yeah, um, that's funny. I, I, you know, Tom has all sorts of uh, like little tropes and themes and, and, and topics that he likes to return to often. Um, you know, things like the nightlife or crows and alcohol carnivals god and the devil you know like all this sort of stuff but trains uh seems to be one of his most enduring fascinations they they show up in a lot of his songs in in all sorts of ways but also in very specific ways like he sings a lot about cars as well but he seems very intentional about whether he's going to put his character in a train or in a car depending on you know what story or or mood he's trying to convey um, some of my favorite Waits one-liners are, are actually train-themed in and of themselves. Um, one of my all-time favorite songs of his is a song called Bottom of the World. Well, my daddy told me looking back The best friend you have is a railroad track Thirteen, I said I'm rolling my own And I'm leaving Missouri And I'm never coming home And, you know, 
but the song is called Bottom of the World and it's Tom Waite. So it's hard to tell whether that line is um, some sort of advice or maybe a warning, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, another train theme one-liner of his that I really like uh, is from a song of his called Blind Love. And he says, This if you get far enough away So it's this genius line of, of trying to convey the feeling of being, um, I guess, like so far away from someone that the next step would actually start your return trip. But since that step isn't available as an option, then the character is literally stuck at the farthest point away from, from where they want to be. Um, and, and I also think it's interesting that his heavy usage of trains and train imagery uh, it often seems far more evocative than direct. Like he uses trains a lot when he wants to talk about themes of, um, I guess like independence and isolation, um, whether that's by someone's choice or, you know, by their external circumstances. And he uses trains when he wants to talk about someone uh, leaving home, especially in regards to their inability to return home. Uh, on his 1987 album, uh, Frank's Wild Years, uh, which is a companion album to like this stage play that he wrote about, uh, I guess, sort of like an ambitious accordion player who tries to go out and make it big. But again, it's Tom Waits. So the guy ends up, you know, being destitute and drifting. Um, but anyways, the second to last song of the album, which is simply titled Train Song, there's no actual chorus to it. But the refrain at the end of each verse is... Um, it was a train that took me away from here, but a train can't bring me home. It was a train that took me away from here, but a train can't bring me home. And it's funny because a lot of Waits's train rides, uh, you know, kind of seem to be one way like that, just one way direction. But but I would say probably one of my favorite examples of Waits being a railroad guy is that I think it's really cool how he is, um, he's sometimes able to evoke and conjure up rail car riders and train yard scenarios without specifically stating as such verbatim. Um, meaning, at least for me, there's there's been songs of his where the mental image I have in my head while the song is playing is like full on, uh, you know, tales of a hobo type stuff. But then I'll look back at the lyrics and there's no specific train verbiage or anything that he's using. Um, I, I think a good example of that, uh, he's got this awesomely theatrical song called uh, Lucky Day, where um, there's this drunken orchestra kind of bellowing behind him and he breaks into this spoken word bridge where he talks about his dad telling him, when you get blue and you've lost all your dreams, there's nothing like a campfire and a can of beans. Well, when I was a boy, my daddy sat me on his knee and he told me, he told me many things. And he said, son, there's a lot of things in this world that you're going to have no use for. And when you get blue, lost all your dreams there's nothing like a campfire and a can of beans. 
Um, and you know, if that's not a train hopping hobo peace of mind mantra, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's exactly right. You know, it's, it's that tone of, of, of a song that, you know, if, if railroading's in your blood, if that's something that you're really influenced by deeply, even if you're not explicitly talking about trains, it, you know, subtly influences your work either way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he set such a precedent for himself that sometimes I'm like, I can't tell if, if he's intending it to be that way or if I'm just making it because you hear Tom Waits' voice and unless he tells you otherwise, you're like, he's probably talking, he's either going to mention a train or someone just got off the train or, you know, um, but, but yeah, it's, re it's really cool how uh, I think his, his incredible use of language and poetics um, allows all those cinematic things to happen in your head, uh, whether he's kind of, you know, gently guiding you towards any specific direction at all. Um, that's usually where you're going to end up with, with weights is in a train yard. <laughs> so thinking back about some of those examples that you gave us of, um, of train tropes that weights often used in his music. Um, so one of the ones that you mentioned is the connection between railroads and this idea of like leaving home and you know, not, not being able to get back, um, which I think is, is a particularly interesting, you know, idea of, of, connecting that to trains. Um, so we've seen in other podcasts that we've done um, that sometimes train travel can be used as a metaphor for things uh, out of your control because unlike you know, maybe automobile travel um, where the driver steers, they can turn around and go home, you know, they have complete control uh, over what happens, you know, at least to some degree. Um, and, and in contrast, a train ride is a passive way of traveling. You're unable to steer around obstacles, and you can't really turn the train around if you change your mind. Um, so I think the connection between that and leaving home was, is, is extra interesting. Like as you grow up, you eventually have to leave home you know, to, to some degree or in another um, as sort of the default setting. Um, and once you do that, you, know, you can never quite go back to the way things were. You, know, you can't get home again. You know? Um, so it's interesting to see that come up in Tom Waits' music. Um, can you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, I, th I think that's a real good point because, um, especially with him, like I said, uh, some of his characters, they seem to be kind of leaving on their own volition. Um, some characters are leaving because of, you know, other things going on. They got to get out of town. You know, he loves talking about people that are, uh, on the edges and usually involved in some sort of, uh, you know, criminality or trouble or even just, you know, tough relationships, things like that. But yeah, that's an incredible point you make because, uh, you know, also in a car, you think even if you leave, you have the ability to turn around at any point. And also you kind of got to know, uh, where it is you're trying to get to. Whereas with a train, it's much easier to be like, if, if my number one goal is not necessarily trying to get somewhere, it's just trying to get away from here, then trains are great for that because you can just hop on. You have multiple stops between, you know, whatever the end of the line is. Um, you can hop off at any time. And, uh, and it's funny because that's what you see in, in a lot of Tom Waits songs are characters who have done that sort of exact thing. They, they've hopped on a train because their main thing is they just want to get away from where they're currently at. And they may have gotten off somewhere, which uh, in one hand is a, you know, blank slate full of opportunities, but also most of his characters end up uh, um, 
almost regretting making that choice because then they're like, you know, it's kind of one of those wherever you go, there you are sort of thing. So if you left a place because of troubles, you more than likely carried your troubles with you and they're going to be, you know, right there with you in your new place. So uh, I, I think he does a real good job. He's, he's not a character that is, or an artist that is very um, sentimental about home per se you know um a lot of a lot of his leaving home songs are very much there is an intention and an excitement to leaving home um but then they're often colored with a lot of uh regret not necessarily for just making the choice to leave home but maybe for not having a uh, a better plan it might have been uh better for them or smarter for them if they had taken a train i mean taken a car instead of a train <laughs> So I think his most obvious railroad song, um, at least if you just go by names in the title, um, is Downtown Train. So can you, let, let's play that real quick. Um, and then when we come back on, can you tell us a little bit about, um, about that song? I see you tonight. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Downtown Train is, uh, it's probably one of the most interesting songs, uh, one of the most interesting songs in Waits' catalog, uh, more so for what happened around it than than for the actual song itself. Um, he initially wrote and recorded Downtown Train for an album called Rain Dogs uh, that came out in the mid-80s. And it's this very, like, gritty New York in the 80s uh, kind of album. At the time, he was... Uh, temporarily living in a Manhattan basement apartment. And you can really hear that in the lyrics and the, the rough and tumble musical ambiance of the album. And as far as it being a train song, uh, I actually think it holds an interesting place of uh, foregoing some of those romanticized notions of stoic old timey trains. And instead it inhabits the completely different world of um like modernized underground subway trains. So, you know, apart from a song like uh, the jams down in the tube station at midnight, or, or maybe Paul Simon singing uh, the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls in the sound of silence. Um, subway trains, you know, really only seem to regularly get love in like New York hip hop songs. So, you know, it's nice to see Waits contributing to sort of broadening the lens of what a train song can be. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Like, so we, we have a bunch of um, like field trip programs for, for kids at the museum. And mm -hmm. one of the things we ask them all the time is like, have you been on a train before? And immediately everyone's head goes to those old timey locomotives <laughs> above the ground, you know, but a lot of these kids are from San Francisco. So they know of BART, you know, a lot of right, them right. Are but it, it is that like training our brains to recognize subway trains as trains. 
Absolutely. I think that that's so cool that that you all do that there, because uh, that was one of the funniest things I think I mentioned uh, on the Johnny Cash episode, uh, like being born and raised uh, in Atlanta. Most of the time that I was, you know, doing anything like going to see family or having to drive around um, in the suburbs and the rural parts of Georgia, there were the, you know, train tracks locomotives freight trains all that stuff everywhere but then anytime we had to go into the city if we we're going to like a braves game or going to the airport or anything like that um you know we had marta and stuff like that and i would always be like i, th I think it took me a while to understand like oh these are essentially the exact same modes of transportation they just have completely different applications uh being you know being rural versus being in the city or, you know, carrying uh, freight versus carrying passengers, like all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's really cool that you guys are uh, intentional about, you know, kind of uh, making sure those blend together and it doesn't seem like uh, two entirely different worlds. Yeah, especially because it seems like, you know, the further we go along, more people are interacting with um, those urbanized trains. rather. Than <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The California State Railroad Museum is now the proud home of a new exhibit by the National Model Railway Association. Next time you're in the museum, make sure to swing by our state-of-the-art exhibit up on the third floor, where you'll see beautifully designed model railroads and a look behind the scenes of the hard work that goes into model railroading. You can also see an exhibit reveal up on our YouTube page. So another thing that Tom Waits seems to be pretty famous for is um, sort of experimenting with music and as we've talked about that like really unique um, music style um, and it seems like a lot of that is you know experimenting with different sounds and different instruments. Um, can you talk a little bit about how he's used railroad sounds in music before? <laughs> oh man um yeah that that is a that's such a great question um because yeah, um, for for all the the jazz and blues and rock and gospel and orchestral influences that that flow through his music, um, he does really love using unconventional sounds as well. Um, especially, he seems fond of uh, like found objects or even building his own creations. Um, he's got this one instrument that a friend made for him that he calls uh, the conundrum. And uh, he, he describes it as being like this gigantic torture device looking thing made of uh, scrap metal from farm machinery. And uh, he uses it by just banging all over it to find these different metallic percussive sounds. And, uh, and he's used that uh, on, on a few different albums over the years. And he's also described looking for uh, specific sounds for a song and, and, you know, not finding it until he drags a chest of drawers into an echoey bathroom and smacks it with the two by four in just the right spot. You know, like it, it's the understatement of the year to say that, uh, you know, he is an eclectic person, but um, as far as using specific train sounds though, yeah, he, um, I know that he reportedly has uh, a big collection of, of train horns from a variety of locomotives and he's also a big fan of natural field recordings. Uh, he, he has a bunch of different train recordings, things like screeching brakes and whistles and a whole line of uh, train cars rushing past um, that he's employed 
over the years, but, oh, I, okay. I can think of a real good one. Um, I, I think like his most interesting use of train sounds as an instrument um, might be in this song he has called gospel train. Um, it's off of a project he did called uh, the black rider, uh, which was a play written by um, the great William S Burroughs um, and Waits wrote the music and the lyrics for the play. Um, but for this particular track gospel train, um, Waits has this one-of-a-kind instrument that he calls a, uh, a train whistle organ. And it's four different octaves of pitched train whistles that are assigned to keys that can be played uh, like a piano. So I've, I've seen a video of him playing this instrument when he was actually recording Gospel Train. Um, and visually, it literally just looks like he's sitting down playing at a piano. But what comes out of the instrument is this wild sound collage of of train sounds and train whistles and then he sort of just sings this gospel song over it So, um, so fair warning, it's truly a weird and um, <laughs> intentionally avant-garde song. Um, like if I was trying to get someone hooked on Tom Waits, I certainly wouldn't put uh, Gospel Train as the first track on the mixtape. <laughs> but, um, but he totally makes it work. And it's really cool to see it in action because it's literally just um, uh, an instrument that is made from the recordings of train whistles and pitch so that he can play uh melody lines and percussion and all sorts of stuff using just the sounds of a uh, train whistles it's yeah that, that sounds very like like only tom waits would think of making his own instrument that takes train sounds and then you know, <laughs> purposefully making it sound a little um a little funky uh, right, exactly. And how to take something out of its natural context and uh, be able to bend it to his own artistic will to like, you know, it's one thing to have a recording of a train whistle and put that in your song. It's another thing to take a collection of train whistles and melodically figure out how to make chords and melody lines out of it and then be like, that's what I'm going to build my song off of. You know, that's a, it's truly, yeah, that's a, that's a Tom Waits original right there. <laughs> Okay, so in that Johnny Cash episode we did, we saw that he often used uh, trains as a storytelling device, um, and as metaphors. And I guess we've talked about that a little bit with Waits, um, using, uh, using it as metaphors for, for leaving home and things like that. Um, are there yeah, any yeah. other examples of him doing that? Yeah, yeah, um, totally. I think, um, I think one example is that he, uh, he frequently employs trains to evoke themes of, uh, I guess, sort of escapism and a sort of uh, transient untetheredness, you know, kind of like I was talking about that sort of uh, anywhere but here um, mindset. And sometimes he sings from the perspective of the person who's doing the leaving. And sometimes he sings from the perspective of the person being left. Uh, for instance, he has a song called 219 where he says, um, on the train, you get smaller as you get farther away. The roar covers everything you wanted to say. On the train, you get smaller as you get further away. The roar covers everything you wanted to say. Who's out of window in the corner of your eye? Who you trying your deal? 
another song called time he talks about memory being like a train and how uh you can get you can see it getting smaller as it pulls away and the orbs and the orphans and the memories like a train you can see it getting smaller as it pulls away so it's interesting to me that in both cases whether being on the train or watching the train roll away he uses the word smaller intentionally because he's trying to convey that emotion and direction of something moving away from the listener um in in most tom Waits songs uh folks are you know mostly doing the leaving not not the arriving and and he often uses uh tr a train as a metaphor to accomplish that and you know he also loves delving into sort of the uh the experimental beat poet in inspired side of his uh poetic psyche so for some of his train linguistics he he just kind of uses the train stuff as verbal you know crayons that he's choosing to color with to evoke specific moods and energies um you know i guess i would say more as like you know abstract adjectives instead of you know concrete nouns like uh he has this song called whistling past the graveyard uh it opens with this lyric that says um i came in on a night train with an armful of boxcars on the wings of a magpie across a hooligan night and it's like sure you could analytically parse all of that imagery and 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 make possible interpretations of the slang and colloquialisms but i think what where like weights is talent and genius genius kind of lies in the fact that uh with those lyrics filtered through his raspy bark um backed by like this bubbling saxophone and drum swing you can immediately like see and feel the character in the song without having to fully understand what the lyrics are you know quote unquote supposed to mean <laughs> you know it's about creating like a feeling like a tone absolutely yeah yeah he's uh he's not so much about like uh you know he doesn't really I can't think off the top of my head even that he has any specific songs that are about like uh, specific trains, you know, like he's not singing about the wreck of the old 97. He's more like if, if I'm envisioning a specific type of character in a specific type of scenario and I'm wanting to create a mood around that, uh, you know, I'm going to put this person in, in a train or just getting off a train or looking for a train or something. It's like, those are kind of uh, his go-tos to get a larger point across um, as opposed to just being, you know, directly literal about all of it. Yeah. And it, it's interesting too. You, you mentioned that most of his train songs or songs that, you know, use trains um, have, have the train leaving. And that seems to be different from what we've seen in the past where it's, you know, um, singing about, yay, the train's here, or there's a train derailment, or things like that, but it's usually a train arriving somewhere. Mm. Um, and I guess that, that sort of tracks with who Tom Waits is, right? Like, he's, he's about that transient um, type of lifestyle, it seems like. Yeah, I definitely think um, it, it's, it's unquestionably a part of his uh, creative output, um, his stage persona, especially, you know, in some of his early 70s albums, it's fun to just like even look down the track list, like when he has songs like 
uh, it's so funny. He has this one song called The Piano Has Been Drinking. And before you hear a note or a lyric of it, when you just see that title, you're like, I kind of have an idea how this song is going to sound because that title is just so uh, perfectly evocative. Like this is going to be some, you know, slouchy, drunken crooner, like playing a, you know, jazzy piano song. Yeah, I think that not only he himself, like when when he's kind of, you know, taking first person narrative in the songs, but also whenever he's creating characters, he feels most comfortable uh, instead of trying to be a pop songwriter that is, you know, every song, you know, kind of has to be fully invitational and have universal themes. Um, he's more about like looking at folks that are on the fringe and 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 folks that are on the edge of what would be considered, you know, uh, traditional scenarios and like, Oh, let, let's, let, let's play with those, you know, crayons in the box. Let's, let's kind of see what we can do. Uh, when, you know, we have people that are, you know, um, you know, having, having a hard time or, you know, are, you know, drunks, things like that, like all this sort of stuff. But I think one thing that's interesting is a lot of times he, you know, other, other artists that get kind of pegged with working within that framework are, uh, you know, poets like Charles Bukowski or, some, or someone like that. But I think what's really cool is that Waits often, you know, Waits gets kind of like paired with Bukowski a lot. But I think one thing that's different is um, if you read a lot of Bukowski, he, he kind of works in some of the same elements, but almost everything seems very... Uh, hopeless there's not a lot of um <laughs> like love or relationship or, or things like that uh but then in the hands of tom waits using a lot of those same elements um I, I still feel like he ends up at places that that offer maybe not within some of the single songs um but uh overall his artistic output gets to a lot of places that offer um hope and love and redemption and stuff like that so uh while his characters are transient, also this sort of downcast, outcasts, down and out elements also seem uh, transient and temporary because they eventually all kind of, uh, most of them at least, end up to some uh, redemptive point uh, that I think just, you know, kind of makes it more fun to listen to. So you don't just like, you know, feel like you need to take a shower or something after, <laughs> after <laughs> listening to them. Definitely. Um, okay, so did did Waits' use of the railroad change over the course of his career? Hmm. You, you know, one of my favorite 
like full albums of his uh is a record called uh mule variations it came out in like um 99 i think it's a fantastic album uh won a grammy he did a really cool vh1 storytellers around the same time um but anyway there's there's a song on that album called pony uh and in that song he says i've lived on nothing but dreams and train smoke i've lived on nothing but dreams and trains smoke So how I watch and change And I feel like that's a big overarching statement, but I think that kind of sums up his relationship with trains and his songwriting. They they've kind of always been there at a real foundational level. And uh and that's why it seems like you know, it's kind of a creative bottomless well from which he has continually drawn inspiration from um, in all sorts of, of different applications. Um, so I guess that's kind of a long-winded answer to say, uh, I think it's kind of always been there and, and it hasn't really changed that, that much for him. So how he, how he uses and relates to trains, you know, back in his first couple albums, I think he still, uh, does it in the in the same way today? I think it's one of his. Uh, I think I've used the crayon in the box metaphor like twice now, so why not make it a third time? I think that's one of his favorite crayons to go to uh, when, whenever he's whenever he's creating. So, from my understanding, Tom Waits wrote many songs for other people as well throughout his career, and sort of. I think he didn't he he has like he does other things other than music now, right? Like, doesn't he write things? Um, yeah, it's funny. He actually, he does a lot of, um, poetry. He just, uh, he, he, uh, just had a poem included in a pretty big, um, collection with, with some other really cool people. I think, um, Patty Smith had the, the name is escaping me, but yeah, he, um, he writes just, you know, standard textual poetry uh he he writes for musicals he he has a pretty interesting uh like character actor career um in movies so so yeah he does he does a lot more um than music but music is kind of the the biggest biggest piece of his creative pie yeah okay uh do any of those other outlets ever have railroad things pop up in them as well i can think of a couple uh i really i really love his song called um long way home uh that was recorded by Nora jones on uh her album feels like home um it, it has one of those train theme lyrics that feels more colorful and evocative than it is literal uh the lyric being um money's just something you throw off the back of a train is there a I just love that line. It's a, I think it's a good mantra to say every month when it comes time to pay bills, <laughs> you know. Um, but also like uh, Scarlett Johansson, oddly enough, she did a full album of Tom Waits songs called um, Anywhere I Lay My Head. I think it was like uh like 07 or 08 when that came out 
And uh, one of the songs that she covers, uh, Fannin Street, uh, it's got some train lyrics as well. Uh, it, Fannin Street is this like poignant song about regret. And uh, one of the verses um, in true like Waitsian prose uh, says, um, give a man gin, give a man cards, give him an inch, he takes a yard. And I rue the day that I stepped off this train. So, uh, you know, David Bowie also sings background on the track. So uh, that particular version of a uh, railroad-themed Tom Waits song that someone else does uh, is definitely, you know, worth checking out for um, multiple rewarding reasons. Yeah, definitely. And it, it sounds like like for Tom Waits, and so much of it is like a like a tonal thing. Like he's setting up hmm. uh, an environment to listen to this, and it, it sounds like he'd be a perfect person for people to cover because it's just you change the tone a little bit, and it's suddenly a brand new thing. You know, absolutely, absolutely, and because you know he's he's a really wonderful piano player, but because he's not the most, um, you know, his vocal range you know, and instead of like talking about, you know, which notes on the piano he can sing between his vocal ranges, you know, the spectrum is more like, do you want it a bark or a howl? You know, it's like sort of this uh, broad spectrum of, of primal sound. So it's really easy for people to cover his stuff because oftentimes they're not, you know, uh, melodically difficult, you know, it's one thing to cover a Mariah Carey song, uh, but I think almost everybody can sing along uh, to a Tom Waits song. Um, okay, so that's all the like prepared questions that we had. Um, is there anything else we should know about Tom Waits um, and his connections to Railroad? Hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I would say for anyone who, uh, you know, really wants to, to dip their toe into the, uh, and I mean this with all of my heart, truly wonderful and truly weird world of uh, Tom Waits. Um, there's a couple great places to start and in almost all of them, you're immediately uh, going to, to run into trains somehow. Um, probably, you know, albums of his, there, there's one from the 70s called Blue Valentine, and then the one from the late 90s that I mentioned, Mule Variations. Both of those are really solid entry points that kind of uh, show some of his biggest poetic and musical strengths. Um, but if someone were like, hey, I've never really, you know, listened to Tom Waits or, or you know, gave him a second thought, where should I start? Um, one thing that I can really recommend, there is this insanely cool video that someone cobbled together on YouTube. Uh, it's every Tom Waits appearance on David Letterman's shows over the years from like 1983 to it goes to like 2015, something like that. Whenever, whenever Dave stopped his show, because, um, because Waits was, I think like in the last handful of appearances, he was like the last fifth or sixth person. Um, but anyways, this video, it is, it is this wildly enjoyable, like hour and 45 minutes because it has both the musical performances and the interviews whenever like Dave called him over to the couch and they talked for a few minutes. Um, but what you get to do with that is you get to see some of like, you know, his uniquely singular charm and his like wit in, in the back and forth with Letterman, plus these just insanely great musical performances. And to kind of tie it back earlier to where we were talking about the difference between being on a train or, or being on a car, um, you know, whenever somebody recommends a YouTube video that's an hour and 45 minutes, you can easily just bring it up, you know, press play, have it on in the background while you're working or, or, or doing something else. It's a very, it's a very passive experience to get a lot of different aspects of Tom Waits. Um, 
at one time. And it's just, uh, it's so enjoyable and it's so fascinating to, to watch him. So, so yeah, I'd recommend either, uh, those two albums that I mentioned, um, or checking out that, that YouTube video of, of all of his appearances on David Letterman, because it's just, uh, yeah, it's like, it's truly, truly great. And if, if you don't, if you don't get into Tom Waits after watching that, then um, it's probably definitely not for you. Cause, cause I think that that's probably the most uh, kind of wide open invitational single entry points. So, so that way you'll at least know that, you know, it's just not a flavor of Kool-Aid that, <laughs> that you're interested in, in drinking. Yeah. I, th- I think it's good. So when I was doing, when I was doing research for the podcast, I stumbled upon that compilation. Um, oh nice okay it was was super interesting and as as you were saying even in those interviews it's not surprising there's a connection between his uniqueness in the interviews and in the music it it, it kind of all fits together yeah and i think even in his interviews he can't get away from from train cars because in one of the first ones uh uh david asks him about he, he's talking about a music that he, uh, a movie that he was recently in called Ironweed and uh, Jack Nicholson is in the movie and Meryl Streep's in the movie with him. Uh, and so anyways, uh, Dave asks Tom what it was like working with Jack Nicholson and, and uh, Tom Weiss describes Jack Nicholson, who uh, is somebody who knows everything about life from the beauty parlors to the train yards. So even when he's just trying to like, describe someone that he has a working relationship with like railroads are one of his like go-to touch points of being like if i'm trying to you know make a specific point it's one of it's one of his favorite things to talk about so even in just like a a a quick hit thing um he still he still can't get away from them so it's uh it's absolutely he's got you know locomotives running through his blood for sure yeah he's a railroader (laughs) (laughs) there you go uh perfect well if anyone wanted to hear uh, more of your work. Where can they find that? Sure, sure. Um, I, I always tell folks the the best place since uh, I write for a few different outlets and and have a couple different uh, music and academic pursuits. Um, the best place is just you can go to my Twitter. Um, I post everything there. Uh, that's at uh, Will underscore Hodge W I L L underscore H O D G E. Um, you can find all my stuff there. I've got. Uh, you know, it's, it's December right now and we're recording. I just posted some, um, you know, Christmas material, uh, on no depression and I've got some really cool, uh, print pieces coming out, um, in the spring journal, uh, regarding, uh, some really great artists. So, uh, yeah, I just always tell people to, that's the best singular source. If you want to follow me there, um, then, uh, then you can, yeah, catch up with, with everything I'm doing there. All right. Well, I do want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. I always learn more about the railroad and its connections to music um, whenever we have these talks. Um, And I always get a couple extra songs to put on my Spotify playlist. So that's always nice as well. All right. Well, for our listeners, we will be putting that link to Will Hodge's Twitter in the description of our podcast. I do recommend everybody um, take some time and and check out uh, what else you're working on. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Roundhouse Crosstalk, a podcast hosted by the California State Railroad Museum. We hope you enjoyed learning more about Tom Waits and the railroad, and we hope you join us next time for our first podcast of 2022, a look at railroad hobo culture.